my name is Macon Holt, and this month on the ARC Audio Book Club, we are revisiting an old flame with the new novel The Topeka School by Ben Lerner. Lerner's first novel, Leaving the Atosha Station, was the book that started this whole crazy show, so in many ways, this is something of a special occasion. In The Topeka School, Adam Gordon of the Atosha Station is definitely back, and this time we're exploring his upbringing with his psychologist parents at the eponymous research and treatment facility in a small Kansas city. Told from the perspectives of Adam, his father Jonathan, and his mother Jane, the novel is an exploration both of the formation of this character and the complex historical entanglements that an upbringing entails, from youthful hijinks to developmental psychology, from New York's aversion to Midwestern values, from the fringes of the Westboro Baptist Church to the exclusivity of the debating clubs for future politicians. The novel explores the complexities of living in our world in classic learner style by excavating the disjunctions of language and action and the stories we produce to square the circles. And this month on the podcast, we're joined by longtime friend of the pod, Frank Kavansky. Hi, thanks for having me. Returning champion and learner scholar, Charlie Casarino. Hey, up. And of course, the person with whom I made that first episode of the podcast, and nearly every one of them since, Siobhan Alessandra. Hello. So, we've all been here before talking about Ben Lerner in various stages in our lives. Yep. And what we do know is that a one-hour conversation will be completely inadequate to address all the complexities of the book. Check. That being Check said... It's all right, me for 45 minutes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're just going to put that caveat up front and then, then call it a day. That's the... Um, so, I mean, I think also because his work is so complex and so rich, it almost... You know, there's not really a, a proper way to compare it until you've had a long conversation about it to earlier work or to other work. But it is certainly very much, I don't know, it's kind of a relief to read this, like a novel of this quality. A bit of time, I feel. Not anyone else agree? Also <laughs> <laughs> reading shit. Maybe you've just had a shit year. No. Yeah. <laughs> I guess also like on the podcast, I mean, a similar, I mean, the Ocean Vong novel was of a similar kind of aesthetic quality mm. but I didn't have the same I felt like I didn't have quite the same grasp as other books but oh um, you mean relief in the sense that we've read a lot of crap for this podcast yes <laughs> oh yes <laughs> it's been up and down in that sense certainly um so yeah I mean that that felt like a nice return but I but I guess we could like maybe think about some of the the classical learner tropes that um are present again here and what we were happy to see being revisited I guess central among them is this uh this this dichotomy between language and action and the the dissonance that exists between them and that being a source of of, of um well both aesthetic exploration but also thematic and and developmental ones for for developmental yeah um does anyone else agree that that's a a key point of the novel that's a thing is it is it new though? Is it is it being done in a different way on this occasion? Ah, uh, has it been there in the other novels? I haven't noticed it as clearly as in this one. Um, I always felt like maybe not as explicit, but a thing with him and his books. What the was the dichotomy between like body and mind, mm -hmm. in the sense that also a little bit with this one, but less so. That I always feel like the narrator. I would have no way to describe what he looks like, but the people around him that are silent, mm -hmm. like one of his tropes. I feel like it's always like the very sophisticated, elegant woman who mm -hmm. always sort of slightly has her back towards mm -hmm. the camera, and mm -hmm. we never really figure out what she thinks about anything, but we definitely know what she looks like. Mm -hmm. um, but and we know she thinks about everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean that's that's certainly back here in the form, I guess, of Simmer, but also kind. Of, I would also argue with a mother as well, <laughs> Jane, mm -hmm. because even though we get whole chapters narrated from Jane's point of view, uh, I feel we're only ever let in exactly as much as Jane wants us to be allowed in. And even when she's trying to like overtly um, say, "Oh, I'm going to cop to this error, I'm going to cop to uh, this mistake, this kind of." foreclosure or emotional problem it still feels like these are the ones we're actually we're allowed to look at and we're not actually being she's not exposing herself in any real way no but then sense. we do see her in a glimpse from her son's view right yeah. before he leaves home right before the novel ends mm -hmm. where she's furious and leaves the mm -hmm. house and slams yeah. the door and we yeah. like when we've sort of heard from her <laughs> what might lead up to that and yeah 
she's been very um, moderate about it, mm-hmm. um, but apparently she probably wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I would say what's interesting about this book, that there is something which I didn't know from Lerner before, which is letting others speak as well. Mm. So the, yeah, the, the thing. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. It's very much yeah. This yeah, is, but if you know yeah. what I mean, like if we think of like what's present from mm. the the books we know before, like I was surprised to hear that suddenly it's not only the narrator taking. Uh, mm. But I mean, in regards to that, I like I didn't really feel like he let anyone else speak here. <laughs> I sort of saw him <laughs> like throughout everything, especially, and yeah. I mean, so many, um, like so it's the book is told from. Adam Gordon and then his two parents mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then there are the in-between chapters of Darren who is like <laughs> his, a slightly younger kid living in Topeka as well mm. but they share a lot of references that yeah. made me feel like ah, ha, 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 this is just mm. essentially the same guy same person writing it but mm. then I thought okay maybe it's also like a family and the pool of references mm-hmm. is sort of the same and they share this yeah. like genealogy of because um, in that list Darren kind of stands out as not being quite the same as the other as the other sections mm-hmm. yeah. they're distinctly yeah. broken or weird and strange mm-hmm. um, but I mean but also yeah. cut in process like cut mm. in like poems yeah. some of his speech which yeah. is you know mm. very learner <laughs> probably not his own <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I would take that point to an extent, but I also think that there's there is a modulation of voice that's happening between them, even though it's like it's obviously all the same work and the same, and it's you know being woven together to tell one's one story with a certain degree of coherence. I think there is a certain you do get different registers mm. being explored. I mean, especially like the most similar would probably be the. Like Adam and his mother, whereas the dad is just his other kind of plain <laughs> descriptions yeah. of his life. Mm. So one of the interesting things is the fact that Adam is, um, for most of it, narrated in the third person, uh, whereas it's the mother and the father chapters who are actually narrated in first person. The mother's one is also particular because it is um, very openly a dialogue of some mm-hmm. sort mm-hmm. so it, it's it's addressed to adam it's it's referencing uh the fact that he's sort of writing this to some degree mm-hmm. and uh, uh and therefore in a way she's sort of offering these materials and they can mm. um and so that they have this point to them mm. um which is I think in her way, kind of a, an explanation. It's going beyond him as well, but it's kind of aimed at him. Mm. Um, the father's one doesn't seem to me to have that mm. at all. The father's one is a kind of... Uh, it's almost like a memoir in some way. Yeah, maybe maybe in a way a sort of um, justification. Mm. The father's one is like, this is why I am kind of, this is where I come from and what, mm. what I am. And it feeds into stories of Adam. Mm. Mm. Um, so it's from the father that we get the narration of the the school and the characters mm. in the school. Mm. And uh, these voices, mm. those characters then get um, referenced by all the other yep. narrators, except for Darren. Mm. Mm. Um but all of them will make reference to like certain ways of phrasing things. Mm-hmm. Um, they will all kind of reference the dad's um, uh, obsession with a particular Herman Hess story mm-hmm. or the films that he makes. So the fa- the father's this sort of uh, s- closed off, mm. um, slightly more sort of closed off kind of um, presence in there. Yeah. Whether the mother is is working directly to some degree yeah. with um, with her son. So I think that's sort of the... I think that's actually that's an, interesting, interesting an interesting tension because in some ways the father's very kind of confessional and very and very much, as you say, justifying, but it's like justifying to, for posterity. And the mother's justifying herself for the interaction with her son at this time. And so how that, there's this different ways in which you're imagining you're being received implicit in the way that they're expressing themselves and the father is seemingly able to talk about his the infidelity that led to his relationship with Jane and then his later dalliance um with with uh, with um Jane's best friend um and everything everything that that, that uh, Jane references which she 
is you know sense which is sensitive to her is always packaged as like um as a uh, a thing to which we are already familiar and we don't need to talk further about yeah know? and then as such the dad is like the pool of references that stands unquestioned right mm. where the mother constantly like explores herself and why she thinks that way and what is like going on but mm. like the dad sort of delivers the material that they the other people draw yeah. from yeah i mean and that also i guess is then speaking to their characters and it's kind of a former representation of their of their characters as described which is that you have the mother which is who is a deeply ambitious psychologist who wants to contribute and shape the field and the father is pretty content to just you know deal with his patients go home play with his kid hmm. have chats with this crazy old german guy called klaus and you know goes to go about his life which is you know now which is now in topeka and uh much to their surprise um yeah but i mean yeah to go back i think i mean to this notion of, I guess, la- language and actions. Um, one of the things which I kind of I notice a lot is is the way that they, especially the mother, will draw attention to um, to grammatical errors or fragmentation of speech. And this is also something that the father uh, did experiments on people to try and um, bring up, which is this old kind of psychoanalytic methodology for working out what your unconscious tensions are. And as if that's kind of a more real expression of something, and it seems this this wonderfully overdetermined way in which to um to deal with all sorts of language, and then you have this tension, of course, that sometimes those sort of fragmentations, those breakdowns of meaning, are what poems are based upon. Mm. And so mm. his interpretation of like them pointing as like this is a symptom, and him going like that's actually a tool, a means of the craft, and I think that's a interesting way to play it out because it's. I guess I'm just still trying to work out what the role of language is in learners' work in general and this work in particular. Because I think that there is this playing out as well because the way that language fails him in Atosha Station with his inability to learn Spanish and then um, something happens in 1004, but it's such a long and complicated book. It's not even long, but it's just so <laughs> dense. I can't really remember what happens. Uh, <laughs> but I think the same things that play again there. I'm pretty sure we've had this conversation three years ago about language and action not fitting together really it, yeah i feel like we should have listened to that been great research for oh, this. yeah, yeah. Well, we have this we have this archive but that's for others to enjoy <laughs> <laughs> never go back yeah um it definitely comes uh, yeah i mean i think that that is definitely the through line mm. or one of the through lines anyway with these um i think here what's interesting is that he is addressing the I don't know the impossibilities of language maybe is mm-hmm. is is a sort of learner esque way of referring <laughs> to it mm. um, and exploring it in slightly different directions. Whether where you know leaving the Tojo station is primarily geared towards failure of language in terms of creating poetry and also in terms of I guess in terms of interpersonal relationships to some degree. Um, and that's in 1004, I think it's doing something similar, but it's looking at it from a less minute level. Mm. It's looking at it more in terms of kind of very specifically about narration, mm. Uh, mm. people narrating themselves and, and, and talking for other people and trying to understand other people. And in the Topeka school, it's it's brought into various different strands. So we have this psychological strand i guess Mm -hmm. in terms of um like actual production of glossolalia when like Mm. just language centers break Mm. down under certain situations but then it's also connected to the um a more wider use of language as a tool of obfuscation yeah um so the Mm. main and obviously the main um point of reference there is the is the spread in terms mm. of the, the in, these debate yeah. um, championships in which kids have sort of <laughs> discovered that the this the great the best method for them or the the one where they win better mm. is by uh, talking so quickly, um, referencing so many arguments at once that um, their opponents are unable to address mm-hmm. all the arguments, and therefore each one they don't address is a sort of a point docked basically. Mm. So it's just <laughs> 
spreading as, as much information as quickly mm. as possible, confusing the opponent, not allowing them enough time to mm. respond. Mm. Um, I think that's then taken up in various other points as well. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting that that the the, the notion of failure. Um, I think I, I can't. Mm. I've got it somewhere in my notebook. There's this. I, I heard a poet recently talk about basically their entire conception of poetry just being about being a language of failure and just being a way of expressing the inherent failure in all language, but also it being a kind of failure that you're performing to people as well as a performative gesture of failing in front of people to a point of success. And I think that's, yeah, and the ways in which we can yeah, incite misunderstanding whilst claiming to desire understanding. And yeah, I don't I'm getting kind of an, this is the problem with learning because I'm totally now overloaded with <laughs> possible associations that we can work from with this. Yeah, I guess yeah. I guess one for me would be definitely when you talk about failure and we like mm-hmm. in many examples he gives he talks about how language reaches a certain point either of saturation or like being uh, broken down through one or another uh, circumstance where it stops functioning and this definitely mm. makes me think of the idea. Uh, from Heidegger who would say like you do find out a lot about what things are Mm. when they actually stop working and Mm. when they break down it's not the moment when you actually use them and they become transparent tools for you but it's exactly the moment when you don't have them yeah so I definitely thought (coughs) this could possibly one of the role of him insisting on giving many many examples uh, in the book Mm. of of language in that case but Mm. I also think all those episodes he loves describing visits to museums and weird mm. things happening in front of uh, certain works of art they also have this well, the absence l- of weird things <laughs> yeah but I think like in terms of like if if you could see in that some sort of limit situations which mm. people then stick with people because something has been mm. shifted within them even though they can't really mm. account for it the the mm. idea of being there on a list LSD was it in mm. uh, in Matt that made me think yeah. of Sartre and the and the collapse of meaning and mm. the, the chestnut in the Lanozes. I think those those tropes are yeah. somewhere there, and I like to me learner. I think it's also really interesting then to have that happen within the context of psychology because you have at the same time so you have the father who's a specialist in lost boys, so the kind of the the the, the, uh, the wayward youth of Topeka, mm. and he's trying to fix their emotional and developmental structures so they can become functioning members of society. But there's this wonderful tension of here's the experts coming in to fix everyone's emotional and and mental health. Um, and yet they are not exempt from those very problems. They are not able to completely um, rationalize the the process of, of being in the world. And I think that, again, is, it speaks to the nature of the tools we have at our disposal. We don't notice them until they stop working. And I think that you know, they're taking tools that are developing and working with every day with patients, and then they take that training home and works a lot of the time, kind of, and then it seems fine. And then you know they end up with a situation where I believe at one point... Uh, uh, Jane refers like you know cannot believe how much she dislikes um, Adam at some point in his adolescence because he just seems so incredibly unpleasant, so combative, <laughs> so angry, mm. and you know with all of her training she's managed to make a uh, a youth she does not like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that being a remarkable you know, instance of her failure as a practitioner and parent at the same moment. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. Uh, I was I was going down one tra- train of thought, and then that you went slightly, down a slightly okay. different route, and then I got lost. Okay. <laughs> um, I think. I mean, okay. Let, let's let's start down a down this route, and then let's see how far it goes. I'm not sure, but I've obviously always mm. um, really enjoyed um, Ben Lerner's work, but I've felt I've always kind of disagreed with him mm. on a like I've always found the the focus on impossibility mm. a little bit um i i think he does something like the spread mm. mm-hmm. with the the impossibility where i i don't i, I think it's only ever taken in one particular yeah. direction yeah um cuz when this is this started when when especially when he is he's writing about poetry and, mm. and with the the hatred of poetry mm. and all this it, it always goes down the line of like you have meaning and then you go into non-meaning mm. or you have this thing that you want mm. to achieve and then it fails mm. and 
Okay, to, to me very personally, that's never been a very interesting narrative because mm. what I always found more interesting, and even in his particular work, in his poetry, is not the breakdown of mm. meaning. It's how strangely we can find units of meaning yeah. in, in things that are actually completely broken. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, and it's always interesting yeah. to me that his point, his sort of reference point is John Ashbery. And he's very good at talking about reading John Ashbery. He's very good at the like, how can I put it? Like you know, the the describing the the phenomenology of reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's always at this like, it's always geared towards impossibility, and it's 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 mm-hmm. never mentioned. What to me is always the most interesting part yeah. is like how that seems to produce meaning. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I've always felt that kind of loss in his. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's also, as you say, it's like, you know, it's obvious from his work, from his practice, because what we have here is three kind of similar, <laughs> fragmented, but strange, strangely differently voiced, but also strangely similarly voiced um, novellas stuck together. And it's actually almost between their incongruities or um, disjunctions that we find something which is actually a whole work. Mm. And this is always his way of doing things by fragmenting to the point of actually there's a kind of a conjunction that occurs in some way. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I take your, I, I think, yeah, maybe that's also why, I mean, I've not read that essay, um, Hatred of Poetry. I've only, I've only read extracts before, because to be honest, yeah, I'd, I'd never wanted to pursue mm. it further, but maybe I, I probably should. Because I think this yeah. is, a, is a kind of like a trope, which I think is very frustrating for me, like coming from other disciplines than literary studies and then being like kind of adjacent to literary studies because literary studies is so fascinated with <laughs> a deconstructed methodology that just wants to prove how everything doesn't work and then mm. say, ha, <laughs> and run off. Or like, and yet we're still, you know, doing this thing. So I'm wondering, like, maybe it's just the, because like you say, like, so the theory of what he's doing is this doesn't work. And yet somehow here we are talking about this mm. novel as a kind of successful example of something. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I remember correctly, but I think the very end of The Hatred of Poetry, the last kind of epilogue image is like suddenly abandoning the whole talk about how is it impossible and like in which senses he thinks it will be impossible and mm. describing some sort of, again, like a poetic experience, which yeah. then is, is this is what proves to him that it is possible as mm. it happens somehow and like makes him regain the, I don't know if believe, but at least like gives him a sense of something else being there. But I might be misremembering. I don't remember anything from that. I remember, re- I, I know I read it like three times and you and I, oh, Fanny, we yeah, emailed yeah, ferociously yeah, yeah. back <laughs> yeah, and forth yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. But about, yeah. I can't remember anything about yeah. it except that I really disagreed and I mm. thought it was just, much dumber than he was. Mm. Um, mm. It's because the reference point for those were all, were these writers who always seemed a bit on the romantic side for me because because the 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 failure was always framed in terms of this completely impossible task of of like reaching these like poetic heights. But I just I'm not sure whoever believed in those in the first place. To mm. be honest, mm. <laughs> that's well, that's why it never yeah. I was never super sold on it. Yeah. But I feel like, in fairness, that I just don't think, I think he's gone on a different tack yeah. with this one. Yeah. Um, I think some, I think probably less that he's exploring, he's less exploring failure as a kind of, as an absolute category and more of as a fact of any kind of practice. Mm. And yet there's some sort of persistence that carries on and there's some kind of insistence that things can be taken together in some meaningful way. No, sorry, I'm stretching. No, I was just thinking um, like about that language versus action and both are like really just means of like visibility, right? And I feel like there is intense like demand for visibility in his books and like to find the right language, like find the right action and stuff. Where, I don't know, um, like what set that on for me in this book was how in the, I think it's the opening scene, he's on a boat with his girlfriend and they're 17 and... Like he's been, it says, I think he talked and talked and he turned around and his girlfriend was gone and her clothes was there and her cigarette was still on the boat, but she just jumped in the water and swam away. And then he finds her after like it's the Midwest and all the houses look like each other and he goes into the wrong house and blah, blah, blah. He finds her and then she tells him an analogy to how her step 
father always talk and talk and talk. Mm. And one day she just slid under the table and he never noticed and she could like crawl out from the table. And I don't know, it's not really his business exploring these modes of resistance of like, mm. but I feel like Amber, the girlfriend does offer some like, what do you call it? Like not competition, but something else to like the intense, uh, mm. like wanting for visibility. She mm. actually like her means of, Navigating, yeah, mm. is by becoming invisible, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's sort of her protest. Well, we have a, we have a very good counterpoint to the problems of visibility, which is his mother. Mm. Um, mm. When she gains visibility, mm -hmm. yeah, that yeah. is also gaining. That's also a threat. Yeah, because now she's the target of like harassment. Yeah, whereas visibility for. And I think I think this is like one of the the sort of points where of like contention or the clash here is between like these the male desire for visibility and what that actually means, which is mm -hmm. and the actual reality of if you are visible but in a different category. Mm -hmm. So if you're a woman or something, else, then suddenly that visibility is doing something very different from mm -hmm. what from what the sort of men are imagining yeah. in their head as, as being like mm. the desired outcome. Mm. And then the strange, then the the, the instant problematization of that with having by having the father character have no particular desire for visibility, just yeah. and but and yet somehow in some way feel that he should have had that desire. Mm -hmm. And when his wife gains it, when his it. wife gains it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think I and that is also why I like this book because after the story Amber gives about her. Um, like her stepfather and how she slid under the table, the narrator says it would take him 20 years to understand mm -hmm. that an analogy. And and then he does explore, like as you said, what happens when women, like in the instance of his mother, mm -hmm. gain visibility. And mm. I just like, the book is just so condensed and like so well crafted <laughs> that it's like everything yeah. <laughs> is in there. Yeah. <laughs> this is the real problem. Again, I, I remember us saying back when we did the uh, Total Station all those years ago now. Mm-hmm more than four years ago, um, <laughs> that really what we wanted to do, like it's hard to pick quotes from it because you just want to read the entire thing. And maybe it's not entirely the case with this one because it's got, it's more, it's longer, so it's a bit more patchy, but it is so condensed that you could probably, like to get the point across, the, the whole thing is the point and it only works the whole thing. Mm. Perhaps minus the last chapter. Exactly. It's, it's exactly like Arrested yeah. Development. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that, get that on the next edition of the book. Got to read the whole thing once. The Arrested Development it. of literary, literary Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah, visibility is a, yeah, a fascinating question, I guess, because then that will tie, I would imagine, two questions of communications and communicability and you know what larger, almost, societal questions about how anyone has knows knows about anything going on around them and the whole the interesting uh, tension in debate is it's meant to be this kind of honorable profession but it seems to be just designed to obfuscate everything mm -hmm. in a way that poetry would be accused of doing and yet it's a poetic sensibility that always kind of which, which troubles Gordon about the practice so when he has the that scene later on when he's um when he's uh, debating and someone tries to do the spread in the wrong format of debate mm -hmm. and he just problematizes the technique in front rather than addressing any of the arguments mm -hmm. and and it's because he's just he's troubled I think he's almost troubled by the practices that he's actually that he's you know being allowed to see into and the effect that has on a, on a wider world like his uh, his coach is a political consultant who mm -hmm. will uh, go on to help various right-wing politicians win and control Kansas and mm -hmm. it, so he's always kind of you know wondering like you know you learn these skills you learn it for this purpose you learn to map navigate and, and succeed in a certain world and what is success it's not really communicating anything to anybody I mean, the problem is what's happened is I've written a bunch of uh, <laughs> like quite diffuse topics, and yet we've because we're talking about learning, we've ended up talking about all of them. <laughs> Otherwise, um, <clears throat> and I, yeah. So, I mean, what, what, do we, what do we say? We're like, this is a so this, this, the breakdown this, this, of, this uh, is a, breakdown of the language. So it's when the podcast this, becomes <laughs> impossible, <laughs> that it becomes truly possible. So we've kind of, in some ways, I guess, maybe been talking on a very technical level about how this is deployed. Mm. But I wonder, considering that it's also an intensely personal book in many ways, and it's it's basically autofiction with um, more fake names. Um, I wonder, like, do we are we are we to take something about a, a kind of emotional truth about families from this, or about 
groups of people or or be, you know becoming a person in a in, in a in a world like you know we've been you know overwhelmed with memoirs for the last decade um, and memoiristic novels and I wonder like what is this incredibly technical way of addressing that topic what does that do uh, as opposed to say something like which is more like say I don't know, Chris Krauss or something which well that's, that's 20 years ago but I mean yeah what am I talking about I don't know you become <laughs> a priest Macon <laughs> what does it mean what does it mean well, the hermeneutics are the thing. <laughs> what do we learn our own family lives from this book? <coughs> yeah, not not, not our own family lives, but more like there's there's a lot of emotion in this book. Yeah, and I think that that can somehow sometimes be set as oppositional to a, to technical prowess in putting a, a a book together. So I'm wondering, like, do we get like what 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 is this? What is the emotional life of this book? Is my question, I guess, which I'm going to lay out on the table here. I don't even know what you mean with that question. I mean, it's a very broad question is probably why. But can we can we yeah. try and frame it a different Well, yeah. I, I feel like, oh no, if I say this, I think it's a bit repetitious. But I mean, I think if we can frame it in terms of autofiction, what is it, what is this, what is the deal with autofiction? <laughs> um, it's, I think the book is, is sort of, uh, it's thesis in some way mm. that autofiction cannot work as a single voice maybe or autofiction of a single voice is maybe is not necessarily uh or, or it's not it's not fiction or it's not it's not novelistic or it's no i don't no. think so but i ju- i just think it's it's trying to exp- it's exploring the lack of auto same. in the autofiction or maybe mm. I think it's exploring the fact that, in, to some degree, to really get to that auto part, oh. you are, the the other voices are necessary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So this is. Uh, I mean, I uh, heard some uh, interview um, where it was specifically referencing the fact mm. that uh, Lerner was specifically referencing the fact that he had to sort of write in the third person for these uh, mm. for these parts of childhood mm. and um, and and teenager years. Mm. Precisely because, like, to to do them in the first person mm. would just uh, to write them in the first person would be like it wouldn't be autofiction anymore to some degree. It would mm. be like me writing about you. Mm. It, that's about as different mm. as mm. me writing about me when I was ten mm. could be. It's mm. it's 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 on that level. Mm. Um, so I think maybe the impossibility of autofiction. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of you have to go back into fiction yeah. to some degree because. Yeah, that that idea that you're actually picking uh, so the appeal of autofiction, I think, or the, the the appeal of writing autofiction, is this very genuine worry about like how can I write about someone else's experience? Mm. But I think the actual real question is like, can I actually write about my own experience yeah. without acknowledging the other people in the? But uh, well, yeah. I mean, that that's one of the parts. But mm. on a more fundamental level, mm. can, can I with... write about my own experience five years ago? Mm. Yeah. I mean, is that substantially much different from me writing about someone else? Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that's maybe um, the claim. The the, thesis yeah, claim. I think I think to some degree it is. Mm. Um, where where you have to sort of enter, you enter back into this pluri-vocal um, mm. place. Mm. Yeah, it's just, I don't, I mean, I've read lots of autofiction, but I've never really, like, gotten the big deal about, like, autofiction or why it's mm. interesting that it's autofiction. Mm-hmm. As this, as with, like, many other, like Maggie Nelson mm. or Chris Krause and stuff, it just seems like they're using their own situation, which they know mm. really well. I mean, mm. talk to their parents, of course, but, like, just the situation mm. there to, like, to show like the structural injustice mm. of mm. stuff, like for example, the mother becomes visible and that has consequences mm. in a way that mm. it doesn't have for other people. And he shows Darren, who didn't mm. grow up, grow up in a nice like middle class home, mm. and the consequences that has for him, which I just think is um, a much more interesting way of using that. <coughs> yeah. than I've just never really gotten the like the fascination of autofiction. Yeah. Like I think I just 
I don't really know what it's about. It's like I haven't yeah. really like yeah. figured out the interesting part yeah, of it's, that. It's almost like it's it's, um, a, it's like a it's like a it's like a label without a proper category to refer to because it's like it, I mean what, and it also what, yeah. like involves that there's something especially interesting about like mm. this person or whatever. But mm. what I feel like they like there isn't necessarily they just they use it to like for political reasons yeah. and to like show something through just really good fiction. Yeah. Sorry, uh, I didn't mean to. Uh, Gestures, if you're going to speak. <laughs> well, but, but, you know, now that I've done it. Um, I mean, I think, uh, to some degree, whether this is about, whether any of this has anything to do with Ben Lerner's life mm. or not, as a reader, doesn't have to mean anything. Mm. Um, mm. But I do think of autofiction maybe as being, like, a historical category. Right. Where it is, is kind of an obvious route that you go to after after so much um, writing and research about like after so much uncovering about the biases mm-hmm. uh, of everyone's biases, so you know you 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 can't uh, the problematizing of me uh, of some, well I don't know why I said me but you, yes, I, you. me the author yeah. writing as someone in a different gender yeah. or a different race mm. or from a different time mm. once you. Like the obvious part is you go, okay, well, I'm just going to write about me. Mm. I think what becomes interesting is when even me writing about me yeah. becomes a problem. Yeah. Because what yeah. what was I yeah. 20 years ago? Yeah. And then the, I think the interesting part will be the full breakdown <laughs> and what comes beyond. Yeah. So I like I think this is the this is maybe this is the necessary category to say, okay, now I've smashed this yeah. as well. I can't even talk about myself. Yeah. Now I can talk about something completely so different. Is this, that, that's what, is this you perhaps maybe tentatively agreeing with Sally Rooney when she says this might be the future of the novel? <laughs> no, I think this this will be the past of the novel. It's well. <laughs> I think this will be the last. The last gasp. The end of the history. Yeah. No, it, obviously it can't be the last, but I think I think maybe that's what it's tentatively. Maybe it's possibly a reach. It's mm. possibly a, re- a reach, but I, I kind of... Maybe that's yeah. kind of my hope, yeah. to some degree, <laughs> which seems which seems very dismissive. Like my hope is that this is the last of its category. It's not really doesn't make it sound like I like the book a lot, but I think I did. But <laughs> it is gesturing into its own obsolescence to some degree. I, I think. No, but I, no? I'm I'm also thinking a lot of people who would just pick up this book completely randomly, mm-hmm. like without actually knowing it's an author work of other fiction. Like they would like that would not matter to them because mm. there will be a lot of in it yeah. on its own and I think it's also interesting that because we're so aware of who Lerner is and what he wrote before and how much his presence and what he does and like you mentioned uh, Kraus and Nelson and so on and so for us it's like really really something that we we probably focus on but like I can totally see how that could be yeah. not important for somebody because there is yeah. there is there is a lot of other stuff obviously as we as we thought, so I'm just thinking how funny it is that in in a, in a one way this can be taken that alley and like tell us something about some impossibilities of, as you say, like reaching a terminal point of like trying to write about yourself, write yeah. about yourself and conquer some alley that seems like the last thing to 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 to, to still explore, and then it could be completely absent from yeah. from your reading of the book, and then. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess the, the, then the bolder <coughs> takeaway is that this is a book that's you know ostensibly will be called autofiction by certain kinds of critics, but it is in many ways saying it's impossible to actually write about yourself and only about yourself. You're going to be writing about mm. a certain condition, a certain set of ideas, a certain <coughs> emotional life, which is Without, formed by a particular. You know, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. Even, even like the fact that they, you know, they're going to Kansas in the context of the end of the Vietnam War is a significant thing. Mm. But so, I think yeah. I think it's interesting that like, this this thought that it's impossible to just talk about yourself just as mm. yourself. To me, this, this is not so much telling me so much about the nature of literature itself, but rather a nature of life, so to say, because yeah. this notion that like your history or like your mm. story, which you mm. like, there could be a tendency to just see it as a coherent, coherent mm. narrative of how your life develops, but actually, like, there is so much in it, and like of other people's stories, yeah. which at point you might not be realizing how it affects you, and only later you will appreciate mm. some other people's 
stories becoming part of your life story as well. I think what I really liked about the the fact that actually the voices have been dispersed here mm. and like the stories never really had like they were more like ripples on the pond that mm. would cross and create a mosaic which importance would sometimes be appreciated way later than mm. uh, than it was happening and it speaks more to the experience of life as as not being this like one coherent mm. line from point yeah. A to Z yeah. uh, which <clears throat> a lot of I don't know traditionally conceived novels would, would give you start in the beginning and finish at the end and it kind of yeah and there's a and there's a consensus about what <coughs> happened in the middle no is, and then here there's not that. <laughs> no that's what no. I mean like that's the, that's the thing but you I, yeah, yeah I guess what I mean is is it's it's it, to me it speaks way more about how yeah. life is rather than literature is if literature is that is because like like because people lack imagination sorry almost like in calling it even the Topeka school itself is it's you know if you think of it as a a work of some sort of experimental memoir it could also be called Ben Learn and My Story but then it's not that <laughs> it's actually the, like the story the story of Adam Gordon Alab, like, or Ben Lerner is the story of of the Topeka school this development of uh, a group of thinkers coming together to try and do some psychology in a small town the small town's character and its relationship to a nation and, and all those things coming into the that person's story, I think, which is yeah. Uh, on on a on a more like fundamental level, it's obviously a book about being a parent. Yeah, which is where which is where the having the the protagonist. So he's not really the protagonist really anymore. I think I mm. think maybe that's the thing to stress. I mean, I just don't think mm. the Adam Gordon yeah. is the protagonist of this of this novel the way he was of a torture station. Mm. But mm. the idea of of narrating him in the third person. Mm. is some way because he has been read through the eyes of, well, more his mother than his father, to be honest, but of himself <laughs> as a parent, yeah. because, of course, it's told from the point of view mm. uh, that the sort of ultimate authorial voice is still Adam to some degree. And I think this is, mm. like, the, the learner thing is always making the authorial voice someone else than him to some <laughs> yeah. degree. And so it's him as a parent... Uh, and where where the like the last chapter is yeah. obviously like the most explicit part of that, yeah. but that mm. kind of makes you see the rest of it as he hit as mm. Adam viewing himself from the point of view of a parent of mm. like it's partly about him, but it's partly actually mm. seeing yourself, seeing oneself. And you get this from the point in. of view yeah. of a, from you, get, a, you get this coming in like like around the second half of the novel, you start to find these just moments of of the author reflecting on the situation of writing the novel, like mm. even when it's not even properly their voice, like the, you know, there's the, the, the kid sleeping next to him while he's typing and the illuminescence mm. of that. And then you're back in the, in, yeah. the 90, in the early 90s again. And that being, yeah, so, okay. So he's taken apart the nature of memoir and autofiction. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tick that one off. Um, we've, 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 we've covered a lot. It, it, it's just, but everything's so t knotted together. <laughs> mm -hmm. I guess we could maybe talk a little bit about how that works, but it seems like such a like a because it's such a nebulous question because it's basically saying how do all of these two hundred and eighty-two pages interact in a way which is so coherent and well and you know well thought through, which then also reflects the overall themes of of the situation. It's <clears throat> I guess maybe then if we've talked about. The so it's the continual process of re-narration of the life, which we're kind of seeing through these different points of view, and everyone kind of having slightly different angles, not even retelling the same stories because they have different positions for the stories, but they always they touch on each other. So you have you have um, uh, Jane's knowledge of of uh, of Jonathan the father's infidelity, and you have just different fragments of that being played out through the different characters, but then you know it never being directly expressed. And then compared, it's always, you know, what end is more important to which person. And I guess within this, we have this notion of recognition playing out as who are the key players in, 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 in the life, who needs to be respected, engaged with, who what relations are of value. And then we have that being juxtaposed with the story of Darren. And I think we should probably talk about the Darren sections, which come between the main sections of the, of the book, which are these sections in italics and stylistically very different. Uh, Gio was saying it was reminiscent of a, of a Falco novel. <laughs> 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 in that he's got the kind of like like not like the the yeah 
the mentally challenged person of the, yeah. the situation. Okay, so we have uh, a bunch of chapters in this book, and in front of every new chapter, there is a story about Darren, and it's in italics, mm. and it varies between, like, I think two and seven pages. And Darren is told in the third person, mm-hmm. and it's him being, a, I think, a junior in high school, hanging out with the seniors, which mm. is Adam, yeah. and I... Don't really know that much about him. Maybe you guys paid more attention, but I think he's sort of a dropout, and he frequents the clinic of uh, Adam's dad yeah. to get some help. Doctor J. Yeah, and he comes from a much poorer home. I think his mm. mom is like a single mom with mm. a crap job, or mm. maybe two. She's a nurse. Uh, she's no, a, okay. She's a nurse. nurse. Isn't she the nurse? She works. Yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. She's a nurse. That's true. She works yeah. at the yeah. foundation of the yeah. hospital. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But I think he has, yeah, it's with a single mom and he uh, works at a supermarket at one mm. point and has like a crap boss who's a complete <laughs> misogynist. And it's pretty clear that they come from two different homes. Yeah. Mm. And so Darren's story starts with, um, and so that's what really annoyed me because I don't know, was there supposed to be like suspense in these stories of like what is going to happen? Because to me, those mm. chapters were in one sense, they worked really well as for the like the crafting of the novel. Mm-hmm. And in another sense, it was just really, really pretentious and really, really annoying that they were there. <laughs> because that yeah. was um, like a reference to Faulkner and his Benji from The Sound and the Fury. Mm-hmm. Like this idiot is mm-hmm. like the trope. Um, mm-hmm. And it's sort of like so... A big theme in the book is um, how we remember. Like yeah. the mom is recovering a story from her childhood, mm-hmm. and I, like I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> that's like, but that the sto- because that's just like a huge trauma that mm. she uncovers, mm. and the book never really goes with that. No. Like it's just sort of there, mm. and you know that it's there. It's constantly present, mm. but mm. it's never being made into a thing or yeah. anything. It's just mm. always just sort of there, which I thought was just well done. But so, like, a theme of this book is how we remember. And uh, so that's, like, remembering everything backwards, right? Mm. And that is what Darren does. He experiences everything backwards, <laughs> like, yeah. from the beginning to the start in the, like, reversed order. Yeah. And until, like, this point at page 258, where, so, finally, the thing that will happen on page four mm-hmm. He's thrown this cue ball at a party mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like hit out Mandy's teeth or yeah. like knocked them out. And on page four, it says like he's been grabbed by the police there. And it says what Darren could not make them understand was that he would never have thrown it except he always had. And then on page 258, everything happens in reversed order. Yeah. Um, like the blood and teeth re-enter Mandy's head as she regains her footing. Her jaw re-knits, the lights go out, clouds of smoke re-enter mouths. The music plays backward as the little moon spins through the basement firmament, all in a span perhaps no longer than an arrow takes to strike, to fly, to leave the bow. Mm. And it's like this reverse temporality mm-hmm. and how Darren like understands everything in the, like, in the reversed. Yeah. Oh, oh, I think what I really liked about that is it did then, I th- think very brilliantly knit back into the central themes of the work mm. because we're talking about the inevitability like this we're kind of like dealing with the, the, the darren sections almost as a countdown to what is this horrible thing going to be yeah and so you're, you're wondering like okay so was it ever thus was it always you know he you know he was ne- he would never do it except he always had mm. um he could not help but be in the situation where that was going to happen and then at the same time we have that being placed with a connection you know a a, a people who are psychologists mm. who believe there are who are working the assumption there are kind of knowable quantities about the human psyche about what people will do about how they all behave and at the same time they also want to function as people which is requires them to have choice and responsibility and what the mother calls the foundation is this like overdetermined mess right yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so i think yes i mean the pretension would be valid if it didn't do that yeah it yeah be, and yeah, i mean yeah because it feels like oh it's the suspense thing but then the suspense thing is to give you this payoff where it says, actually, the entire question of this is, are you just your parents when you are a, p- a parent? Are you um, are, are you uh, determined just by your social and economic standing? Are you determined by um, your underlying brain chemistry? Like, and how can you possibly expect anything from anybody if you subscribe to any of that? Yeah. And yet, 
we also need to do psychology to an extent. We need to do political and social analysis. We need to do all these things. But but you know, how can we function if we believe the overarching ideas of those structures? Mm. And then we have Adam, who's like complete dick, who goes mm. to Brown University, and Darren, who's like the idiot. He ends up as yeah. one of the anti-abortionists in mm. the town, yeah, yeah, and yeah. is there twenty years later when Adam comes back with yeah. his family. Yeah. Mm. Nothing's happened. Yeah. But Darren is the sort of novelistic part of that, right? Yeah. I mean, because because everything else is... Darren, I mean, I think maybe the frustration with Darren is because he is actually portrayed fairly sympathetically, but at the mm. same time, you know that he's a literary device mm. for that's like the thing to knit together mm. this this story to some mm. degree so the, so the the experience of injustice is that kind of structure embedded kind of in the structure yeah. of the novel, really. <laughs> structural so in the, the sense structural, of like yeah, so but it was in like structural he's injustice. in here because we need to because he's in there to explain that uh, yeah Adam's a bit of a dick mm-hmm. yeah and that he is uh, like the bad conscience of these people yeah no matter how dedicated Adam is to his cunnilingus practice, he is still a bit of a dick, and that is fundamental and yeah. needs to be understood. I, d- I don't know how I feel about um, about then Darren like being like then his connection with with like the Westboro Baptist Church and all that stuff. I mean, that seems a bit more like <clears throat> fine. He's there. I, I don't I don't see as much of a through line with that because it seems like. There, there, there is a pretty good ex- like exploration of like mm. fragile masculinity, mm. but Darren seems like a particular, like not a very. It's not macho. Mm. Yeah. No. It's just that sort of. I think maybe Darren is used as like someone who, like the the innocent who is confronted with that to some degree, where like um, where Adam. Adam is conscious of these mm. kind of requirements mm. on him and has the ability to like sort mm. of find a course between them, right? Mm. So he can he can he can sort of do the tough guy thing. Mm. He can use his sort of uh, <laughs> yeah. his sort of mm. ability to speak in a way that like if it's in these really lame like kind of freestyle things, mm. then that gives him some cred. Yeah. Um, but but with Darren we don't sort of have that. So if Darren, someone says like, yeah. so the reason that Darren does the, the, this act of violence from Dan from Darren is completely prompted by the yeah. people around him, mm. the people yeah. who should know, but like the people who have no excuse not to mm. to to. So yeah, I just wanted to like there's this nice quote from page 119 where um, they're talking about. The kind of bullying and drinking at the uh, that the, the the rich kids of the of the of the um, the, the offspring of the uh, Topeka school uh, psychologists. Um, of course, they knew better, but knowing is a weak state. You cannot assume your son will opt out of the dominant libidinal economy, develop the right desires from within the wrong life. The travesty of inclusion they were playing out with Darren, their intern, was also a citation and critique of the foundation's methods. If they were at once caring for and castigating Darren, they were also modeling and mocking their own parents. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's like, so to say, like, he's he's actually sympathetically betrayed and he is kind of as innocent because, and he ends up with the Westboro Baptist Church because the, the supposedly good people have excluded him the entire time. This, the people who are like the righteous, kind of politically correct. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, and they, I was annoyed yeah. in the beginning because it, like this is too easy to like. So he comes back and Darren has become mm. this. But okay, <coughs> 20 years is a fucking long time. Yeah. And mm. There was nowhere to go. He was in yeah. Topeka. That was it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess we'll start to wrap things up here because this is a, a writer who you can never really finish talking about. It's almost like he fails to have coherent conversations while making the most interesting <laughs> conversations. So instead, we're just going to wrap it up as we wrap up every time. Um, Franek, would you uh, recommend this book? Mm, yes, I would recommend this book, definitely. <laughs> uh, I think uh, it's what I always find with Lerner and what I really cherish in literature or in books is when somebody gets to speak about those small moments which are not always noticed and they're really easy to kind of forget about, but all those moments where something yeah, I guess breaks or just like 
experience in a way which seems very particular just for you and not for somebody else. And you don't let it slip, but you kind of hold on to it and try to see if maybe this is something that something can be built around. Mm. I think I really like this idea. Whenever I come across people who seem to be able to do that, I'm, I'm always I'm always fascinated. So yeah, if only for that that reason, that is very idiosyncratic and honest in that sense, I would yeah. definitely say. I feel like there's yeah. actually a passage in the book which talks about that exact idea <laughs> of these little things that slip by mostly. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The mother has a passage about Yeah, that. I think yeah. so. Yeah. That Jesus. is also that's that's so, so yeah. even, even the fascination itself that you have <laughs> yeah, yeah, is included, it's, in it's the included there. But yeah. that 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 is a uh, that's something I like. I first came across explicitly uh, expressed by uh, by Roland Barthes, and like I think he's also very good at it. And like there is something of that sensibility in Lerner. So apart from that book being all this we talked about and much more. To me, it it has this learner quality, uh, and and that's why I would say go and go and read it. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Do you think people could read it if they haven't read the other two? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, but then, so why would you deprive yourself? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd say it would be, it would be obviously way more rich because yeah. the book cross references other books and other works mm. quite a lot. So that's definitely a bonus. But it is a self-contained. Thing and maybe then you go and read the others later. Charlie, how about you? Would you uh, be recommending this to anybody? Well, I was thinking about that. I mean, I do, <laughs> don't know why I'm problematizing this, but I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't consider myself someone who recommends books in general that much. You're fired. It's not big. <laughs> it's like one of your big big recommending jobs books. <laughs> I know. And my sales tactics are. Don't garbage <laughs> I, but specifically in this case I probably wouldn't recommend it not in the sense of actively saying don't read this but I would never recommend this to someone because people will read this do you know what I mean like I don't feel an active need to advocate on its behalf because I'm pretty certain that anyone who's into this kind of thing mm. will read this because Ben Lerner is kind of a huge thing yeah if uh I had some problems with it in the sense that for me, like Ben Lerner, I've always, like, he's very, very smart and really, really good at what he does. And I think that my, if if I had a problem with the Topeka School is that, again, he's just a bit too good at mm. kind of hedging. Mm -hmm. I, he doesn't, I think he's found his mode and I don't think, like, he, I don't see him as someone who's going to take risks. I hope that his next one that risk will be taken mm. but I mean obviously it's definitely worth reading I just it's yeah. like on a very personal level like it's mm. it, it feels like yeah, I think you can say you see that somewhat in the, in, the, in the last section of the book where it becomes like a kind of contemporary Adam Gordon Ben Lerner in Brooklyn doing it becomes very much but it becomes 1004. It becomes 1004 again, which is which is I think the disappointment for me because it is it was kind of looking back again. Mm. But you know, uh, if you've read any Ben Lerner before, you're going to read this one as well. I don't. If you enjoyed minimally the other ones, you are yeah. going to read this. Just kind of and pathologically, <laughs> it's just it's just going to happen. Even a single a single exposure to Ben Lerner will. Uh... <laughs> It's virulent from that point of view, but 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 yeah, of course. So that's an interesting recommendation. Um, I don't know what to take away from that. It's half. This is good. Half you fucking sheep. <laughs> no, he's not a sheep. He's his own thing. But no, I mean the audience. <laughs> no. Um, okay, uh, Gio, how about you? I don't hold myself back when it comes to uh, recommending books, but I don't think I would recommend this one. I would like. I also feel like people who want to read like this will go and take it like uh Charlie said. I would recommend his authorship. Mm -hmm. Like I would if like if people weren't sure what they wanted, then I would direct him in the uh into um either the total station or ten oh four first, mm -hmm. I think. Because I still like ten oh four much more. But I also think like this is a book that might grow on me and like in a year this yeah. might be my favorite book of the three. Yeah. Um but I would 
I don't know why, because this book, you can definitely just read that alone, but I would make people start at either a Tokyo station or 10.04. Yeah. Because the, I think what's interesting, <clears> like, I think we should maybe just talk a little bit about what we were talking about in the uh, that break that was definitely uh, available for people to know about. Um, <laughs> about how it's it, this is considered to be less showy than, say, 10.04. Mm-hmm. And... And like how you feel like how do you feel it relates in that sense like because this is it has it's it's almost more heartfelt in a certain way I guess some one could say but and and seems more I don't know authentic but unless like I'm gonna show you some high theory yeah so I mean first about like I would recommend his authorship because I think that's now what I'm interested in more than mm. maybe just like the particular books but like mm. the development of how he's gonna write. Um, I read somewhere, someone saying that this was a less uh, showy book than 1004. And I guess they didn't elaborate, or I can't remember what they say, but I guess they mean that in a sense of 1004 always felt like he was showing off in like um, art theory mm. and stuff like that, cultural theory. Mm. Like it was all like being pushed at you and it was so dense and it was still really well made, but it was... In a sense, um, this the theory because I feel like there is just as much, if not more, theory behind this book. Um, <laughs> She's literally bashing the book. There is at least the same amount of theory and thought having gone into mm. this book, but it's just more integrated and it's more invisible. Or I have just maybe not read the same thing, so I can't recognize them mm. as I could in the first one. Um, where was I coming from? With this, the, um, the 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 development of the authorship. Yeah, yeah, and in that sense, I felt like ten o four seemed at least more personal when I read it because it was about how I remember it more about him. This is more about structures and society and everything. Mm. Um, where ten o four was more the guy from leaving the Atocha station, really smart, showing off. Mm. Um, creating a brilliant book, but in a sense, I felt like maybe that took more chances or that was more, like, less glossed over or um, more annoying or, like, um, more open-ended in a sense. Yeah, I mean... Uh, more peruse. The, the, I've, I've sort of thought what it... I've realised what it is really now for me. It's just that the thing that I really latched onto in the first two and what really got me into Learner was this idea of, like, using different texts, whether it was his own text or others within this novel and the like destabilizing things that they can do together. And, and in this, it's, it's more authorial. Mm. He's, he's because he is more like the author is, it's still, there's a shell of two authors, but, mm. um, but it is more novel, uh, novelistic, I think. And maybe mm. that's what is, I, I don't know, there's maybe lots of things, but that's maybe one of the things that isn't showy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe. I also feel like all the stuff that he's sort of collected in 1004, he like spreads out on society more here mm. than just like uses for his own mm. project. Like, should I become a dad? Should I not become a dad? Mm. Like, what is ethical? What is not? Mm. What is mm. like in the first book? What is art? Blah, blah, blah. Mm. Here he sort of sees everything more as a whole mm. and like zooms out a bit. Um I don't know. I would recommend leaving the to say, I yeah, um, probably ten o four, but like all of them because now, like I'm just in it for the whole authorship now. Yeah. So if someone said I'm going to read Topeka School, like you would say, oh great, let me know what you think of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I think I, I would. Um, I mean, I'd be recommending it because uh, we need to sell books, keep the lights on in the place. But uh, it's but, but, but in a more in a more <laughs> sincere way, I think. I think I kind of agree with with Charlie that it's a it's it is more novelistic, and I think the fact that he's decided to to make to not get entirely outside of his own head, but at least make gestures towards getting outside of his own head in in the by, preliminary steps. But yeah, it's like by going to the heads of two psychologists, which is it's a step, right? And I and I think there is because it's interesting to think that of it as as zooming out when it's also in many ways zooming in on. The kind of like the kernel of where does this Adam Gordon, you know, come from? We're zooming in on that, and in zooming in on that, actually, the only way to do that is to look at this wider thing, this this structural system. Um, because he also also was evoking that in in ten oh four, like he's talking about like how like the the production chains of food that he has in his kitchen, mm. how the hippie he's trying to feed with this lentil soup is you know in, caught in this whole Marxist web. But here he's like 
the Marxism is implicit. Mm. The Marxist analysis is implicit. The the psychoanalytical <clears throat> analysis and you know, all of the all of the theory analysis is all implicit. And I think this is an interesting. The development of this book, it for to me is him going, okay, I know this. What do I do with that? And then back to that quote before: knowledge is a weak category, a weak state. Exactly, yeah. and that's what I think I tried to say is that ten o four seems paralyzed with. Like from yeah. information, maybe yeah. where here he, mm. it's less paralyzed. It's yeah. more like okay, the what? Yeah, yeah. And then maybe he's actually breaking down that that mm. that, 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 that um, dichotomy between language and and action, or the doing and the knowing of it. And he's actually trying to like, he's actually in this work, I think, trying to work out. I mean, it ends with him protesting Trump in a mm. way which is a bit too much like he believed very deeply in the American which product, is the but it is something. <laughs> end note yeah. of the book, right? They're yeah. trying to find a new language, like a communal language yeah. for this society. But basically, if you found Tenafor too wanky, you'll like this more. <laughs> if you were into the wanky bits, you might be slightly disappointed. Yeah. Is that, and in a, is year, that a good summary? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think that's... And in a year, you won't even be the same person anymore. <laughs> You'll probably have a different opinion. So <laughs> You'll have to read it again. It turns out, much like Ben Lone Expresses, life is complex and meanings are, are changeable. So Cheers. Cheers for that. Thank you. Um, we're going to take the rest of the year off mm. from December. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Uh, but yeah, what are we going to read next time? We are going to read the story called Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl by Andrea Lawler. Okay. Uh, it's like hope so. a modern take on Orlando, is all I know. Great. So uh, we'll see you in um, the next decade when we're all turning 30. But Rufanik already has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for four years of um, our book club. Thank you. <laughs>